welcome to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number 23, Working with Children and Youth in Solution-Focused Practice. Well, thanks for joining me here again on Leading from Behind. In this particular episode, we're going to take our first look at the subject of using a solution-focused approach in working with children and young people. Now, similar to our previous episode about working with couples, we're going to take only a brief and general look at this subject. In future episodes, we certainly plan to examine some of the more specific aspects of using solution-focused practice in this area. As you can imagine, counseling or therapy with young people occurs in many different contexts, such as schools, hospitals, mental health programs, child protection services, and a variety of other community environments. So clearly, this is a topic that deserves more examination in the future. Now, we're going to look in today's episode at some of the general considerations that arise in working with children and youth while adopting a solution-focused position. And of course, in the closing resource segment of the episode, we'll identify a few resources that might be useful for those of you who work with this particular client group. So once again, thank you for joining me here on Leading From Behind. I hope you'll find it useful in your practice of solution-focused therapy. One of the great things about the solution-focused approach is that the general process is the same, regardless of the client or presenting issue. So ideally, even when we're working with young people, the solution-focused practitioner tends to do the same things. So for example, we want to understand the client's best hope from the conversation and the work together. We want to leave room for a description of the problems or hear the client's story and how these problems show up in the client's life. We also want to understand what helps or works in coping and managing with the presenting difficulties. And of course, we want to highlight the presence of pre-session change. More significantly, we also want to highlight the client's description of his or her preferred future, a time when the problems are no longer getting in the way and something else is happening instead, and how this makes a difference in the client's life. We also want to have an exploration of exceptions, times when the problem doesn't occur, and what's different about these circumstances. We're also going to be looking at small signs of meaningful change, and at the end of a session, give useful feedback, direct compliments, validation of the client's struggles, and highlight our understanding of what's important to the client. Now, this may sound relatively straightforward, but of course this process isn't always easy when it comes to working with children and youth. In fact, arguably, working with kids, especially younger children, is one of the most difficult roles for a helping professional. And of course, there's some pretty good reasons for this. First of all, in working with kids, it's almost always someone else's idea that they attend. Second, kids don't typically see themselves as needing therapy or counseling. And of course, the description of problems is often provided by someone else. So, for example, it's not uncommon for the parent or parents to be the prime provider of descriptions of the problems. And finally, it remains unclear whether counseling or therapy works in the same way for kids in comparison to adults. So, as a consequence, the application of the solution-focused approach with children and youth isn't necessarily as straightforward as it is with adults. 
So in this episode, then, we're going to look at some of the general considerations to keep in mind when engaging with kids in solution-focused conversations. So in doing so, we'll look at the following. First, the importance of viewing kids as having expertise about their own lives. Second, the need to spend time formulating a useful therapeutic alliance. And third, our attention to language. And finally, the use of creative methods in exploring the client's preferred future, using scaling questions, and developing between-session tasks. So let's begin by talking about the importance of viewing kids as having expertise about their own lives. Now, as you know, this idea that all people have expertise about their own lives is one of the central tenets of solution-focused practice. And it's one that most helping professionals find easy to embrace, at least theoretically. However, in practice, some practitioners can find it difficult to extend this position into their work with young people. Now, in fairness, this is understandable. First, parents and teachers, or others, often provide the description of the problem, as I mentioned earlier. And as well, they often are the ones who are describing what the desired outcome is from working with the therapist. Now, this can place considerable pressure on the therapist to adopt an expert position. It's easy, then, to carry this position into the conversation with a child. Secondly, it's easy, as an adult, to sometimes see kids as being lacking in knowledge or skills, being inexperienced or lacking understanding of themselves. And as such, therapists often fall into a teaching or instructional role rather than a collaborative one. The difficulty, of course, is that in solution-focused practice, almost all of our questions come from a place of curiosity and not knowing. So if we fall into a teaching or instructional role, there's a good chance that we're going to leave behind our solution-focused position. So it becomes vital, then, for us to see even very young children as having some expertise about what they know, what's important to them, and what they want, and, of course, what they don't want. Effective, solution-focused practitioners with children are those who demonstrate, through their questions, that it's possible to see children as having expertise and even wisdom about various aspects of their lives. The point here, really, is that we want to bring the same level of respect for the expertise of children and youth as we do in our work with adults. And at the same time, be aware of the not-so-subtle pressures that can lead us to abandon this position in favor of the adult-expert role. Now, in previous episodes about feedback-informed treatment practices, we've talked about the importance of the therapeutic alliance in achieving positive outcomes with our clients. Typically, we characterize the alliance as having the following components. First, that the client feels heard, understood, and respected. Second, in the client's opinion, we're talking about what's important to them. And third, the means and methods we use in the work together, in the client's opinion, is a good fit. So while the alliance is a critical factor in positive outcomes with adults, it's probably fair to say that it's even more so with children and youth. This is because, as I stated earlier, children and youth are almost always involuntary clients to some extent. And secondly, from a statistical standpoint, the dropout rate for children and youth is consistently higher than it is with adults. So the implication here is that solution-focused practitioners may need to spend considerably more time, especially with young children, engaging in problem-free dialogue or activities that help in forming a positive relationship, before proceeding too quickly into therapeutic conversations. 
So with young children, for example, this can sometimes involve creative activities like playing games. With older kids, it might mean spending more time talking about their interests and passions. Now, in general solution-focused practice, we pay very close attention to the use and meaning of the client's language. Again, this becomes even more important with children. On the one hand, this is because kids, based simply on their age, may have a smaller range of language available to them. They may not, for example, have much comprehension at all of the words used by parents and teachers to describe both the presenting problem or what's wanted instead. As a result, the solution-focused practitioner needs to listen very carefully for the language used by children to describe what's wanted and what works, and then to use this language consistently during the conversation. Now, a final consideration to mention here is the use of creativity by the therapist when utilizing some key solution-focused processes. This would include, for example, different ways of asking young people about their preferred futures or alternative ways of using scaling questions. As well, creativity can also be used in giving children between-session tasks. Now, typically, we would ask the miracle question as the starting point for exploring the client's preferred future. With some kids, however, it can be useful to find other ways of asking the same type of question, particularly if the concept of a miracle is a different one. So, for example, we can use the idea of a magic wand as a way of setting the stage for hearing about a young person's preferred future. Alternatively, there's also the idea of a magic door. The child is asked to suppose that after walking through the magic door, the presenting concerns have been resolved, and they'll now begin to discover what will be happening as a result. And, of course, there's likely other creative ways of asking a different variation of the miracle question in accordance with the child's age and comprehension level. With scaling questions, there's also opportunities to use some creativity when the standard scale of 1 to 10 may be a difficult one for a young client. So, for example, we can use visual scales instead of verbal ones. With a happy face representing the higher end of the scale and progressively less happy faces proceeding downwards. As well, kids can even be asked to respond to scaling questions by placing a mark on a visual scale of 1 to 10. In our experience, kids tend to be a bit more amenable to the idea of a between-session task in comparison to adults. As a result, there's no shortage of opportunity to provide kids with creative experiments that allow them to notice or even do something that they'd like to see themselves do more often. In some instances, kids even like the idea of a secret experiment that they can carry out without the knowledge of others in their lives. So in closing, we've taken only a brief and general look at the idea of working with kids in a solution-focused way. And, as mentioned earlier, there's lots more to explore on this particular topic. Nevertheless, though, we want to underline here that the effective solution-focused practitioner is able to genuinely see children and youth as having expertise about their own lives. As a result, this practitioner is able to maintain a position of curiosity and not knowing, and is successful in resisting invitations to be the expert or adopt a teaching role during conversations with kids. As well, the solution-focused therapist, when working with young people, brings a strong desire to formulate a useful therapeutic alliance and brings patience in his or her efforts to do so. And finally, the effective solution-focused therapist brings creativity in the application of solution-focused questions that work best for each unique client.
There are certainly an increasing number of resources relating to solution-focused practice with kids. In this episode, then, I'd like to highlight two of them in particular. The first is a terrific program called Working on What Works, or WOW for short. This is a solution-focused program that can be instituted in schools and classrooms that invites young people, teachers, and administrators to adopt a positive strength-based position in promoting positive behavior and performance in schools. The WOW program was first developed by Insu Kimberg and Lee Schiltz. Now, there's a number of online resources where you can learn more about this program, but the best place might be to obtain a copy of Classroom Solutions, WOW Approach published by the Brief Family Therapy Center in 2004. There's also a companion book, published in 2005, called Classroom Solutions, WOW Coaching. Both were written by Insu Kimberg and Lee Schiltz. You can purchase both through the Solution Focus Therapy Association at sfbta.org and then following the products link on the homepage. Our second resource in this episode relates to the work of Ben Furman. He's a solution-focused psychiatrist and therapist from Finland who we've mentioned on this podcast before. He's developed a solution-oriented approach to working with children entitled Kids Skills. On his website at benferman.com, you'll also find links to some YouTube videos that demonstrate his work with children and their parents. Now, as always, you'll find direct links to the two resources mentioned here on the Leading From Behind podcast page at www.hbtc.ca. And if you'd like us to mention a particular solution-focused resource relating to working with children and youth, you can do so in the comments section for this particular episode. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you again for joining me here on Leading From Behind. If you have any questions or comments arising from this episode or the podcast in general, please feel free to leave a comment on the podcast page of our website or by sending an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. We also encourage suggestions or ideas for future episodes. Now, our next episode, number 24, will be taking a step outside the helping professions by looking briefly at how solution-focused practice can be used in coaching in the workplace. So in closing, our thanks to Dano of danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. You've been listening to Leading From Behind, the podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I certainly hope you'll join us again.